All right. Well, our guest today here at Post Wrestling, a veteran combat sports announcer, the voice of Showtime Championship Boxing, Bellator, his brand new series, The Moral Log, that we're going to talk about, the connective tissue between Floyd Mayweather Jr. and Coconut Willie, the man that has shared broadcast <laughs> booths with Bad News Alan Coage and Snoop Dogg, and of course, the subject of the highly acclaimed documentary, The Bipolar Rock and Roller, that's available through Showtime. The man behind Fight Network Radio himself, Moro Ranallo, is with us on Post Wrestling today. When MC Morawana hits the, the hip-hop uh, tour slate, when, when we finally are able to uh, uh, hold concerts again, you're my hype man. You are the, the prodigy. The, the Jopo is my hot, a hype man, brother. So good to talk to you, and thanks again uh, for having me on. Uh, you know, it's always a pleasure, John. Well, you have been an extremely busy man, as has been uh, pretty consistent in all the years uh, that I have known you. And you're coming off what I think privately you've told me has been a, a career high for you, uh, one of many, being this recent Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr. Uh, exhibition that saw you share the broadcast waves with Snoop Dogg. That is not something that I would have been expecting going into 2020. Uh, but Moro, this was... Uh, a, f- a fight that kind of just kind of crept up on people. And it was an interesting ex- experiment of would this find an audience? And the answer was a resounding yes. And it was a unique circumstance that you ended up getting to be front and center for this. We put the real and surreal and it's, uh, it's, you know, appropriate that you called it a career high because it was a career high in every sense of the word my friend we turned the staple center into the situation room john and it was an incredible uh not only notch on my career belt but again i i was living out many of my fantasies not only uh being a ringside for mike Tyson versus Roy Jones Jr. in 2022 of my all-time favorites. Yes, past you know past the expiry date as it were, but the fact that they put themselves in the kind of shape that they were in. 54-year-old Tyson hadn't been in a ring for for 15 years. Roy Jones a little more active, three years younger, but it had almost been uh, uh, three years since we saw him, and obviously fighting lower-level opposition. But you're right. A lot of people, and I know a lot of people in boxing, uh, especially, were calling it a farce, a circus, and and I get it. Uh, obviously, this could have been very dangerous. It could have gone off the rails in a hurry. But I thought uh, Mike Tyson, who lost over a hundred pounds and, and still showed glimpses, as did Roy Jones Jr. I think it was almost understood. Hey, we'll get an opportunity to to deliver the greatest hits. But you know, even though it was unofficial scoring, you you, you couldn't go against Tyson. He went eight two-minute rounds, uh, managed to hurt Roy Jones Jr. very early, and a lot of us thought immediately, okay, this is not going to last long. Uh, But uh, they went the distance. Uh, People seemed to really enjoy it. And uh, the entire card was was just filled with so many different aspects of, of what I like about combat sports. We had a fantastic fight in the free hour where it belonged between a couple of featherweights, Gonzalez and Vasquez, that could be uh, one of my choices for fight of the year. It was a tremendous tilt. And, of course, we had the celebrity fight, Jake Paul against uh, Nate Robinson, which ended in, uh, you know, notorious fashion, especially for Nate Robinson. As you know, we don't play boxing. And uh, despite his background as the only three-time slam dunk champion in the NBA at 5'9", and trying out for the Seattle Seahawks, 
Uh, I don't think we'll see him in a boxing ring again. But Jake Paul, I know a polarizing figure, but he is bringing an audience and he is bringing what appears to be a, a serious attempt at trying to to be a professional boxer. If he wasn't an internet superstar, he wouldn't be any close uh, to to the you know the level of attention he's getting. But uh, but yeah. The front and center, my man and John, you know what broadcasting has meant to me, but sitting there with uh, another one of my heroes, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, UFC middleweight champion Israel Adesanya, my world's colliding literally at the broadcast table. And again, going back to my radio and club DJs and and my affinity for hip hop, uh, being on, I get emotional and goosebumps now. Snoop Dogg is on my Mount Rushmore uh, of everything, uh, including someone, yes, who I would like to have uh, uh, enjoyed some THC with, as it were. And for him to not only deliver and steal the show with his his iconic commentary, but to be as gracious and, and humble as he was and to literally come up to me after the show and say, yo, dog, we, we got I got to get you on a track. I'm like, what? <laughs> he goes, I got to get you. I'm going to write something specific. And I want, but I got to get your voice on a track. And I'm like, what, well, what, what, what is happening here? What is life? What is going on? And not only that, but then wanting to hang out after. And like I say, guys, I know, uh, you know, we never want to put people on pedestals. I've tried not to be uh, a fanboy or starstruck, even though I've met every one of my heroes and started at a young age. But yeah, I, I was, uh, I was in a, uh, just a fog actually wondering how in this year, where we have all endured so much negative and and tragic circumstances that for one night we delivered uh, a, a Fellini fever dream. I mean, hip hop stars Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr., and Snoop Dogg, and and this little Canadian boy uh, from Mount Lehman getting to be front and center in all of this. Like, come on, like, come on. You know, I. I joked at the top about, you know, the, the wide variety of people that you have shared a broadcast booth with. But I think if you were to sit down and list some of the pairings that you have had throughout your career, like it's such a divergent spectrum of people that you have called fights with, uh, whether it be professional wrestling, boxing, MMA, and other sports. Is there that immediate bond the day of a card when you get together with someone you've never shared a booth with before and any kind of advice you give them, especially for a novice that is sitting in a booth to provide color for you because you have an ability to kind of just weave with whatever style is presented with you to present that, that night's broadcast. I uh, thank you for that, John. And, and as someone who is as self-critical as they come, I, I'm beginning to realize, and maybe I did years ago, I wanted to be someone who, who gelled with, with everyone put with me and, and there have been easier associations definitely. And there've been times where I felt uh, uh, challenged and maybe I thought, wait a minute, not in exactly the right role. And, and, you know, unfortunately uh, chemistry is everything. And, and I've earned, I believe the right over close to 35 years now as a professional broadcaster that, yeah, I, I want to be with the best of the best. I, I think at this level, we, we we deserve that. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to begrudge anyone any opportunities. But yeah, this had a recipe for disaster in so many ways. I took the fight. I mean, first of all, uh, best wishes uh, to my Hall of Fame broadcast partner with Showtime, Al Bernstein, who was supposed to 
to be in my shoes at the event who uh, fell sick uh, the week of the show and called me on that Monday. And I didn't make the deal until Thursday. The show was wow. Saturday. And to just make that connection immediately. And there was a connection. Uh, Ray Leonard and I had worked together previously on CBS. And even when I went into the, the green room, as it were, and socially distanced, he's like, man, I like working with you. Israel Adesanya, one of the baddest men on the planet, uh, well, you know, one of the UFC superstars, uh, showing me respect, moral, such a pleasure, and, and, and really thanking me for making it so easy for him, putting the, the ball on the tee. And, and you know, uh, Snoop Dogg is Snoop Dogg. I knew, hey, I, 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 we all have maybe egos and pride, but I know I'm just there to tell a story and put everyone over and I let Snoop Dogg do what he had to do, but I felt instant chemistry with him. I remember I made one of my, you know, comments as it is like, let's get back to a hot boxing. And he's like, oh, I like that. I like that on the air. So again, it, it was uh, it was a night to remember, but you're right. I've, I've been with so many broadcast partners. I remember uh, the first broadcast when I did MMA on, on Showtime in February 2007, Elite XC. I was <laughs> I worked with, you know, the number one of the, the best insiders in the NFL, Jay Glazer and 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 none other than Bill Goldberg. Come on. And, and so over the years, I, I mean, you know, Boss Rutan started it all for me. But even going prior to that, Keith Crawford and and Bad News Allen, as you mentioned, and and my first color commentator as a play by play announcer or sorry. Yeah. Play by play announcer for pro wrestling. None other than Playboy Buddy Rose who, again, I idolized growing up in the 70s and 80s, one of the biggest attractions in many ways, uh, ahead of his time with the video packages, but a guy who had a legendary rivalry in the Pacific Northwest with Rowdy Roddy Piper. And, and so, I mean, this is my first color commentator. So I've been blessed in every sense of the word, John. I, I've, uh, I, I just, again, I think I believe, you know, the only thing I can say to people out there, and especially this year, you have to believe in yourself. And when it is darkest, just believe that there is a dawn and, and keep fighting. I, it's, it's the cliche. It's kind of become my catchphrase, but you keep fighting the good fight. And I'll tell you, man, you, you will be put in situations. If you just show up, you will be put in situations that can benefit your life. And, and I, I can't believe what, what happened out of left field uh, on Saturday, uh, November 28th. And, and so, yes, I worked with a lot, but I believe that this is the most eclectic team that I've ever been associated with. What was your reaction? I mean, following this business as closely as you have, that when those pay-per-view numbers came out, I don't think the the biggest optimist could have ever foreseen it hitting that level of, of business. And, you know, in the light now of the announcement of Floyd Mayweather Jr. and Logan Paul, are we entering sort of this era of the exhibition fight and that we're going to see a lot more of these experiments after this exceeded all expectations just a few weeks ago? I don't know if we're entering an era of exhibition fights because there's only one Mike Tyson. There's only one Floyd Mayweather. There's only a handful of legends and fighters that could maybe perhaps not embarrass themselves, which is the first thing, not get seriously hurt, which is really the first thing. Uh, but I believe that Saturday, November 28th, 2020, and I've heard from a cross-section of people from television and the, the entertainment business, this transcended. This uh, this was a crossover event of the highest order. And, and even myself, I thought, 
at best, you know, looking at the pay-per-view market and knowing what boxing had been receiving, but also realizing that we're in a, we're in a pandemic. Uh, there's 28 million people in America who don't have enough food to eat. And, and I thought, well, if this thing does because of Mike Tyson's reputation and, and intrigue and curiosity, if it does 700,000 buys, I'm, you know, this is a, a major success. You think in the back of your head, maybe, just maybe, if because of Mike Tyson, it could go over a million. But I never thought that seriously. And for it to exceed 1.2 million pay-per-view buys, I think it speaks to uh, just how big a name Mike Tyson is. I think it speaks to um, maybe even the crossover appeal. Uh, I know not everyone's fans of musical acts at, at events, and, and we've seen some disasters in that regard. But I thought it was, it was seamless in terms of uh, bringing hip-hop and boxing together, which I thought for the longest time should be paramount. Uh, the largest boxing audience is, you know, your, your Hispanic and your African-American audience. And, and so what is the most popular music on the planet right now especially for those two demographics it's hip-hop so kudos to thriller and and let's face it john in order to make money you have to spend money they reimagined almost reinvented what is possible in terms of production value i don't know the cost i know they paid a pretty penny but you you saw it and especially now where even working with showtime in a in the fight sphere which i think they've done a great job of, of the presentation but there's no fans of course in the audience and and there is that kind of cavernous so it's not the same obviously and we've adapted but with that thriller event man there was a a, a stimulation of the senses you know some of the big uh hip-hop acts i love wiz khalifa love yg and not only it was supposed to be lil wayne but with all due respect to uh yeezy i am so glad that snoop dogg not only came in as an announcer but he he set it off before the main event, dropping dropping everything like it's hot. And so I just think what an experience it was. It was surreal. But but really, I believe that this has to change the way the promoters and networks approach the event. And and I know the UFC went away from you know the ramps and what they thought was a WWE esque comparison. But you look at what Bellator is done and i know scott coker influenced by pride and remember what pride fighting championships was like larger than life production wwe uh presentation has always been about the hype and telling the story in the vignettes and i believe as much as boxing has done a great job and again i'm biased but showtime i believe is is the top production when it comes to boxing i think even we have to take note of what happened uh november 28th and and always try to not necessarily reinvent the wheel but make sure the wheel has enough air to keep rolling. I wanted to talk a little bit about now that we're a, a few months removed, um, your uh, decision to leave WWE as you did a number of months ago. I, I, I didn't really a ask you at the time, but now that you've had several months to look back at it, what has been you know the the decision that went into that, and also now having an ability to stand back and look at that decision, how you arrived at it and, and how you're feeling today about that, because it's, it's a significant schedule you take on when you are with the WWE, even during the pandemic, uh, looking back now, uh, tell us just a little bit about what went into that decision for you. All right. And uh, again, I, I want to thank triple H who, by the way, sent me a very nice text message after the Tyson uh, pay-per-view I, it, it, 
yeah, WWE is in one of the most mentally grueling places, and that's not necessarily uh, a criticism by any means. There's a reason uh, Vince McMahon has built a multi-billion dollar empire. Is it perfect? Not by any means, but neither am I. And I, I chose at a late age in life, 46, to to go to WWE when they courted me. It was a dream come true. I wanted to work for WWE as a play-by-play announcer because I thought it would be not only uh, an affirmation of my accomplishments and my achievements and, and what a, who I am as a broadcaster, but because the connection I had with pro wrestling going back to the very beginning of my life. One of the few things that my father, mother, and my siblings really bonded around. And, and so pro wrestling has always had uh, a special place in my heart. And I did visualize, I remember my best friend, uh, Michael John Jansen, who passed away at 19. Uh, when I went to pick him up at, at his college, uh, when he was 18, out of the blue, he says to me, he goes, I can't wait for you to work with Vince McMahon or for Vince McMahon. He never got to live to see that. So making WWE was very special to me for many reasons. Now, I thought Jerry Lawler and, and Byron Saxton and I had instant chemistry, but but they made the changes they, they felt they had to make. It's their company. I, I've proven I can work with almost anyone as a broadcaster. But yeah, there were many times where I'm like, what is going on here? Like uh, a four-man booth, an eight-man. There was a picture someone had on Twitter where there were literally eight people on headsets. I get it. But that's not what I want as a commentator. I get these stressful situations. I get uh, the changes on the fly or it, it's just the system there. But for me and my mental health, uh, even moving to NXT, where when we were live, it was the best experience I could ask for. And that's a testament to to what Triple H and, and everyone down in NXT has done. Um, I I just felt for my own mental health and, and it was becoming more and more apparent. Uh, doing the show even from home. And I know, God bless his soul, Jim Cornette and many people. How the hell can this guy quit a high-paying gig, high-profile gig, of which there are so few in this world, and, and, and actually be, he, could, he could do the show from his home. They were allowing him to do the show from home remotely. How could he leave? I, I, it was to the point that I, I would have panic attacks in the morning of the, the, the recordings of the last, a uh, few months. Wow. And and then I just, I didn't like, with all due respect, I didn't like what was happening with the, who was involved in all respect to all announcers. But I, I also believe in chemistry and maybe I was the problem. I went on show day. I'm not in, I, I'm not a great guy to be around because I'm completely effing focused. I'm prepared and I expect everyone else to be the same. And, and so there you go. You know, there was another reason I I'm a play by play announcer. I think I'm one of the better ones in the business. And I don't need, uh, you know, I just, I need to be, I need to be left alone at times. And so I want to thank WWE for everything. They have improved my standing in the world. They've allowed me, I believe, to get other opportunities. The fan base uh, and their treatment of yours truly, their support of my documentary, there will never be, and I know this business feeds off it. Oh, that's, that's a tell-all, the shoot interview. The shoot is this. It was like my life filled with highs and lows, trials and tribulations. Sometimes, you know, when the dream comes true, it doesn't necessarily remain a dream. Sometimes you're not supposed to meet your heroes. I am blessed that I met everyone. I am so thankful I got to work with one of the most creative minds, one of the greatest promoters ever in Vince McMahon. Did we see eye to eye? No, but I think that was also a respect. 
he had for me and the one I have for him. He has his vision and I have my vision and, and NXT was my vision. And unfortunately, like everything else, I, it just became too much for me. And, and, and uh, I'm at a stage now where, where I can't, I need to be comfortable. Needless to say, I need to be comfortable. And the only place really right now I'm comfortable is with people that I've known a long time. I've had the longest tenure of my career with Showtime going back to February 2007. Not only are they my colleagues, David Dinkins, my boss, has become one of my nearest and dearest friends. Steven Espinoza, Gordon Hall, all of my broadcast partners. This is a uh, cutthroat business, highly competitive. And with all the cutbacks and with the shrinking of media and, and desperate, everyone desperate for jobs, I, I'm just so blessed to work at a place like Showtime. And then Scott Coker, who I had some of my most enjoyable experiences with Strikeforce. And now with Bellator MMA, I, I'm very grateful and lucky that I have the jobs that I do. And now, thanks to, uh, you know, not being on the weekly grind as I was with WWE, both mentally and otherwise, I, I have time to do something I, I really want to start doing more. And that's the, the show like The Moralogue, where I get to share my pop culture fandom and, and hopefully enlighten and inspire a mix of mental health, pop culture, uh, sports, whatever. I, I'm, I'm not a combat sports announcer. I'm a personality, man. I've always wanted to perform, John. You know that. And that's why I'm polarizing. That's why I'm not everyone's cup of tea. But as I proved Saturday night, at the Tyson pay-per-view and the people who I was shocked to hear from shocked and the way they told me how much, how important I was in that show. How can I not be humbled? How can I not show gratitude and how can I not stand up for who I am and, and just, you know, believe in, in what I want to do now. I, I know people are desperate for jobs. I shouldn't be, uh, you know, my family was devastated when I left WWE. Many people were, and yet, I, I, it was the greatest relief of my life because I knew it was going to continue to eat away at my mental illness. And I, I knew that it would come out in a very negative fashion for all involved. And I have way too much respect, especially for the men and women that literally put their lives on the line for our entertainment. And I love each and every one of them. So I, I'm blessed. And, and WWE was part of my blessing. I, I thank you very much just for, for giving all of the, the context of that. And I, I look at that as, you know, had this been 10 or 15 years ago, do you feel you would have had that ability in you to walk away and put your mental health first? Because that would have been, I think, a lot of people listening to this, the concern that a lot of people would not be able to, to make that, that informed decision. And, and God knows what the breaking point would have been. Do you feel that through your experiences and being so open that it made that decision a bit easier for you to make and prioritize your mental health? A lot easier. There, there's no comparison. And you're absolutely right. I, I turned 50 last year. I'm not about numbers. I feel like I'm 25. I act like I'm 15. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a free spirit, uh, maybe an old soul, young spirit, but I'm I'm wiser now as we all should be and it's true what they say you know we we always rebel against our parents and and the you know authority uh, figures but with age comes wisdom and growth and hopefully maturity and and so yeah I I'm I was again I'm the one who's at peace with my decision many many people I care for uh weren't but I will say my most inner circle they were waiting for it they they saw it they they 
they knew my energy was down. And, and, you know, being with me at the best of times, as you know, John, it's, it's enjoyable. I think, I think I'm a, a great conversationalist. I have life of the party, always treating everyone well, but, <laughs> but the, it, it can be tiring. It can be exhausting. It can be uh, frightening. I, I know people care about me. So, um, I, I don't think I, I was, I, w- I don't think I'd be WWE any other time than I was. And, and I never thought I'd make it there anyway. I, I was prepared and, and very happy doing what I was doing with New Japan. Uh, I'd done enough pro wrestling to satiate uh, my appetite, but WWE is the, you know, the, the, the apex, the top of the line. And of course, you know, all the memories I have going back to when I was six years old uh, with WWE and all pro wrestling promotions. It's a blessing. You know how many people want that gig? Do you know how many people want uh, to work for that company and, and realize their childhood dreams? I got to do that. And, and so, again, there's, there's nowhere is perfect. Nowhere. Nowhere is perfect. But for me, uh, I, I know what I can handle. And I have to have, uh, you know, priorities and, and, and my own pecking order. I, I showtime, I will, I will be loyal to the, I take my last breath just because I, I, I don't know if you know this, John, uh, very early in my tenure with showtime championship boxing, it was right after uh strike force had ended. Uh, and I was having difficulties, as you know, uh, in, um, in in Ontario, you know, my mm-hmm. work at the score, uh, leaving the fight. I, it just, again, it wasn't what I wanted to be when they canceled the MMA show <laughs> out of left field. Like, I'm like, what the hell is this? Like, what am I doing here? Uh, we've made history. You know how high quality, buddy, that show was ahead of its time. Correct. I agree. Absolutely. And so uh, again, all the mess was there was toiling with my mental health. Um, and all of a sudden, again, the stress, and, and just triggers. People do, don't realize mental health uh, issues. It, it's, it is triggers. When people receive bad news, we all deal with it in, in certain ways. When you're dealing with already a high level of anxiety and, and, and issues that are maybe uh, your, uh, of your own volition or chemical or environment, or whatever the case is, if you're having panic attacks and, and anxiety, why the hell would you subject yourself to that? So, I was, I was again at a low ebb. I was hospitalized despite Showtime hiring me to be their Showtime championship boxing announcer. Again, giving me an opportunity. Did I deserve it? I'd never called pro boxing save for one fight. I, I, I'm sure there were other more than capable announcers that could have filled the role. It talks to the loyalty and the respect. And I believe the fact that maybe I did prove myself worthy to the powers that be the, at Showtime. But one month in, the first show at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, October 2012. Major moment for everybody. I'm in the fucking hospital, and I apologize for swearing in Ontario. I'm done again. You know what I'm saying, brother? 13th time. So I missed the show, and I'm, well, why would they bring me back? We all know in this business, you, you skip a gig for whatever reason. You're, you're replaceable. We all are, but that, you know, if a person comes in and does the job, and by the way, my replacement, a legend, 50 years of broadcasting at the highest level, Barry Tompkins, uh, why, you know, what am I doing? Well, I'm sick. I can't do it. Instead of Showtime saying, okay, well, sorry, buddy, but, you know, you're, you're not reliable. We, you know, sure, you're sick. We want to support, but the show must go on. 
I get phone calls from Gordon Hall. I get phone calls from David Dinkins. Hey, how you doing, brother? Well, you know, take your time. We'll see you next month. Or we, we hope the, the show goes on. And I know, I know they had to do business. They may have considered uh, bringing others in or making sure there's a backup if, if you know, I, I end up whatever, uh, uh, incapable in, in of doing my work. When you hear of stuff like that, my man, that's that to me is you. How can I ever leave? And then people have said, well, business is business. Is there a better deal? No, I'm loyal to Showtime. I'm loyal to Scott Coker. These people have helped me. And I'm loyal. I was loyal to WWE. I, I can't stress that enough. Uh, Triple H, uh, Michael Cole, and what he meant to my tenure there. I, I don't even know if these people like me anymore. I know I left them high and dry in many ways, but it was. I don't know if they were happy with, with, you know, me being, uh, in, at, at home and, and maybe not being as part of the process as I used to be, but I, I gave it my all each and every week. I, you, what did you say one time, John? You said, man, your preparation is next level. I, I had to challenge myself weekly because I owe it to not only my employers at the time, WWE, but again, Adam Cole, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, uh, Keith Lee. I mean, the, I literally, the entire roster, they entertained me as much as I hoped. I, I, I gave them the, the lyrics they needed to their songs. And I must say, and, and, and I want to share this. I won't share names, but the amount of, of support I received from my, my peers in pro wrestling and WWE. I will never forget that. And guess what, John? <laughs> you knew this was coming. How, how can we say never say, what is it? Never say never in life, not only business, but in life. So uh, for now, I am, I'm grateful that I'm spending a lot more time because of the weekly grind. Like I, I you know, I, I, I need to do better with my mental health. I need to do better with my life, especially during this pandemic. And I want to be that example to people. And that's why I now do a daily monologue. Not only do I do it to entertain and, you know, share some wisdom and hopefully uh, some fun stuff, but it's for my focus. It's like, Moro, you need to be disciplined. This is part of your self-care regimen. You exercise, you read, you, you, you watch some, you know, quality programming, but if anything, do this for yourself. And John, you know that I don't even promote this thing. I, I just share it with you guys. You're my focus group. I think it gets 10, 20 listings a day, but I love it because I get to flex my writing muscle, my comedic muscle, my pop culture, and just my curiosity. So if anything, I'm having more fun now doing the monologue than even some recent broadcasting experience of mine, because it is authentically me. I'm not getting paid for it. No pressure to have to deliver, but yeah, I hope it does lead to other things because I'm really having fun and it beats having anxiety attacks and panic attacks when you have to work. Was that a, a bit of a evolution for you? I mean, you uh, about a year ago, you decided to get off uh, social media. And I'm just curious that a year removed from that, uh, the impact that that has had on you and to revisit things such as launching the, this moral log where it's more so on your terms that you're putting things out and it's not necessarily opening the door to have to have unwanted uh, criticism or whatever uh, come, come your way. Uh, I'm just kind of interested in, in that decision you made a year ago and what its impact has been for you. The greatest decision I have made for my mental health was leaving uh, social media one year ago in November 
uh, it just opened up everything. I mean, it allowed me more self-care, the, the anxiety of, and you know me, John, I had what, over a quarter million tweets? Like, it was absolutely insane, manic. Oh, I got to do this, got to do that. Oh, I got to share this, got to share that, blah, 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 blah. No, F that. It's not necessary. And I, I mean, it speaks for itself. I don't have to talk about social media. Those who use it properly and make money or whatever, good for you. I, it was not for me. It really wasn't. And I know in my business, well, wait a minute, you have to promote your brand. You got to remain relevant. You got to stay in the, no, I, I'm doing okay. <laughs> I'm doing more than okay in that fashion. And even it's funny, we're talking about this now because I have my uh, two nephews, Massimo and Roberto. Uh, Massimo is now 19, I believe. Oh, man, I should know this, right? Uh, 19. Yeah. He's now uh, legal age. Uh, but he, He's very creative. He's going to a fashion school. He's into music. Uh, so he's kind of like me in that respect. And even today, uh, he said, he goes, Uncle, I'm going to create a, uh, an Instagram account or I'm going to be the social media for the moral log and I'll run it. I'll tell you them that, you know, Moral Ranello has nothing <laughs> to do with this uh, thing because I, that's the one thing, John, that I really do stand by with myself is my integrity in terms of if I'm saying everywhere publicly, not to go on social media and I'll never go on social media again. All of a sudden I'm back. Uh, that doesn't sit well with me. And, and for anyone who has seen the social dilemma, the documentary on Netflix, uh, I understand more and more why I needed to get off. And I, I will say this, uh, anyone with mental health issues, why would you subject yourself to social media? I just don't get it. Uh I, just going back, I one thing I was kind of interested just from a, a technical perspective is that when the pandemic begins and NXT is continuing, you're talking about a three-person broadcast booth that is in different points in the country, and there would be some of these marathon days of two episodes per day. The finished product would come across seamless, but I have to imagine that was the most challenging broadcast that you had to do just given you know not being there in person which is something that i'm sure you just take for granted that like having that ability to make eye contact during a moment and how you're a three-man booth in the best of times can be tough to juggle and here you are doing so remotely wwe's production values speak for themselves they they've got the most talented crew uh and there's many talented people I work with, but they, they seamlessly, I mean, despite everything else going on, their production value is amazing. So you're right. They, they made it work. And there's so many uh, people like uh, uh, my friend Nick and, and all of the engineering staff, the, the behind the scenes crew, the technical crew that made this possible. It's they're, they're geniuses. They're, they're incredible. Uh, but yeah, highly frustrating. And I believe that's what really started to trigger uh, my issues. I, I, you know, I had um, many meltdowns. I'm pretty sure I may have traumatized Beth Phoenix at times. And I, I just felt, uh, you know, we tried to make it work. It is almost impossible, man, especially three man booth. I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I, I want two men at times. I think I could do it by myself, but, but I, I think a two man booth is, is the ideal situation. That's why I had so much fun with Josh Barnett doing new Japan pro wrestling. I obviously we make three man booth work. We made a four man booth work at the Tyson pay-per-view. So, I mean, I, I, I can do it, but yeah, it, it definitely led to my struggles, the way it was set up. And I know there was, you know, they said 
I did travel for Showtime in August to the Mohican bubble, uh, the mm-hmm. Mohican Sun bubble. I was very, you know, they made sure you, we wanted to do it, all the testing, all the protocol. Yes, I was nervous. I'm still nervous, but I felt comfortable there. And, and I think maybe, you know, they, they, in Florida it was much a hotspot. I, I, you know, Florida was really bad at the time and I, I just couldn't travel to Florida and WWE again facilitated that. They, they brought me back to do, you know, earn a living, which I will always be grateful for, but, yeah, it was that that definitely was a part of it. The, the the it could have worked even better, but it it's you know, it's just what it is, a perfect storm of uh, uh, uh long days and and really tough on me mentally. And and people can say you work one day a week and you complain and yeah, I do. <laughs> it's it's grueling mentally and that's again the most important thing for me and I I just felt I wasn't giving the best of myself. Are you kidding? I I I thought it would lose, you know, I didn't think I was giving my best work. I don't care what anyone says and and I'm, you know, as hard on myself on anyone else. I want to be consistent and because of that, because there's three people, three different places, because of the different experience levels, because of all of it. Yeah, it was frustrating on a lot of levels, but we made it work the best we can. Do you look at professional wrestling as something that if the right situation arose, that it would be something that you would be interested in or would be the 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 weekly commitment is not something that you're looking at with your, your plate at the best of times is is full and trying. To, you've always been someone that's always tried to make room to fit as much in as possible. Like what's your thought process towards the balancing act if a professional wrestling offer came your way that made sense? Yeah, there's never going back to what I was doing. Uh, no need to. Um, I want, I, I mean, yeah, it felt good. And I drove myself to become the first person ever to call MMA, boxing, pro wrestling, and kickboxing on major network television in America. Dream fulfilled, <laughs> overachievement, it's done. I've made it to W. I, I've done everything. I've gone above and beyond whatever I thought I could do, especially living with bipolar disorder. It's it's a full time job in itself. So, yeah, I've opened up a lot of time. Will I go back to pro wrestling? Definitely has to be on my terms. I hate to say it. And I'm not a prima donna or anything. I, I need to work with people that uh, respect me, trust me and and will, you know, defer to my levels of experience as well. I'm as easy to work with as anyone else, but at this stage of my life, I need to be happy. I need to be comfortable. Pro wrestling at the best of times is taxing on your mental health. I don't care for which promotion. It's the nature of the business. Um, I I'm I haven't watched any wrestling since I, I left WWE because in many ways it's like, you know, watching your, your ex <laughs> do something that, you know, love. And, and, you know, I heard, uh, you know, even war games uh, this weekend, I, I missed, which I had some of my best uh, times calling wrestling at war games and the incredible, uh, you know, bravery and courage the, the, the performers had uh, for their craft and, and wanting to entertain the crowd. But, but yeah, I'm not interested um, in going back to that kind of rigorous schedule. I would love to call, uh, professional wrestling still. Uh, I'm glad that there's, you know, many promotions despite the pandemic. There, there's still places where you can do. I mean, AEW has has been, you know, uh, a, a win-win-win for them, and and I believe it should be again like the Monday Night Wars, which now you know those days are over. But I believe competition in every sense of the word, and it is cliche. It should bring out the best in everyone, and I'm just grateful there's that many more paying opportunities for the workers. And so never say never, John, I, I'm, 
I, I'm still, you know, I'm still sad. <laughs> I'm still grieving. I'm still mourning. Uh, it was a great job, man. I loved it. And I was paid very well for it. And it was, and I know, again, the feedback from the fans, I, I never thought I'd be a guy that people would, you know, have this much uh, passion for the emails I still get are, are just so touching and humbling. And, and so I'm, I'm very grateful that, that I'll at least be remembered positively for the most part. But um, for now, I, I'm got, I, I want to, you know, explore other options, more voiceover work, uh, maybe try to host a game show if I can, do the monologue and try to just, you know, in the last decade or so of my career, do something I really wanted to do all my life and, and, and branch out. I'm a, I'm a performer. I'm a broadcaster. I, I want to do different things. I might even go back and do a radio show just for myself. I have no idea. Music, uh, I, I'm I'm looking at other things now, brother. And of course, the mental health advocacy, playing my keyboard. I love my music. I, I'm, yeah, I want to be Mauro Ranallo, uh mental health advocate and entertainer and not necessarily the combat sports guy, but I love what I do in combat sports. And, and I can't believe that I continue to do these historic monumental things, but I'm eternally grateful. And I, I again, I have nothing but respect for people like you and what you've meant to my career and and just your support. And like I say, chemistry, we worked very well together. There's a reason for that. We respected each other. And that's all I ask for in, in any arena that I'm in. Well, getting to see it firsthand, I mean, you alluded it to it earlier of just the the preparation that you would uh, put into your work that I got to see firsthand. I would many times go back to you know certain days when we would be on the radio and a guest would literally fall out as you were two minutes into a 22 and a half minute segment and I'm rebooking and literally would go into your ear. Sorry, change up. This is the guest now. And without skipping a beat, you would go into a 20 minute interview with a guest cold and have all your facts. And that just goes to all that the preparation that you put in that if you suddenly, uh, Chris Lieben's out and Frank Trigg is in boom, you just, adjusted on the fly and it was uh remarkable to watch because i don't think that there's too many people in those situations uh, that could be uh that flexible that you know you and i doing a daily show where it was three guests per day and it's very erratic personality sometimes that you're trying to coordinate with times uh could present you on a daily basis and i thank you for that and again i think what encompassed that and May have been the best thing for, for my career in many ways. Uh, and again, it just bugs me because I had to replace a friend in Al Bernstein. And I, I have to continue to mention that I never, uh, enjoy replacing uh, someone, especially when they're, they're, they're sick. But that performance or that broadcast, I think, I think, you know, it crystallized what you're talking about there, John. I, you know, people were like, holy shit, he knows his MMA, obviously. He was working with, you know, Adesanya was even like, wow, uh, uh, Ray Leonard, I'm a boxing, you know, a story. And I love boxing. I do it for uh, a career. And then Snoop Dogg. And that was what a lot of people were saying. Hey, how does this middle-aged white, white guy know so much about hip-hop and seamless and just working with Snoop? Again, that's my prep. That's my love. That's, uh, and, and as much as I uh, prepare, it's a daily thing. I, 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 I still need to prepare even for, for interviews like this. I don't know what you're going to ask. And, and as my brother said in the documentary, you know, it's just too much. His band, his bandwidth is, is full. And so now I'm compartmentalizing. Now I'm letting, as, as Frank said, uh, Shamrock says, you, the work is done. As my therapist says, Moro, enter your flow state. It's there. And I just spent, you know, you know, two days before is when I got the gig last Saturday. So 
you know, I had to prepare whatever I did, but it came out the way it did. And, and, you know, we take for granted what we do know or what we can recall. And, and not, like I say, my insecurity is fear of failure. My insecurities are imposter syndrome. I, I need to keep reading and rereading and, and I prepare like, uh, for the boxing event that I got the next two weeks, we got two shows. Um, the week of the fight, I'll go and collect all the notes I can on the internet. You've seen it. It's like a Bible. It's war and peace of information. And I'll go quickly. Edit this. Don't need this. Don't need this. Oh, it's good to know there, but it's not important. And then I end up where it's like, um, just for example, three pages become a page and a half. And then all of a sudden, if, if you get, you know, you continue to crystallize, you do a little writing, you, you keep stats there, and then you keep reading it. So you're memorizing and it's there, it's there, and you hopefully learn it. So it's not just rote or you're not just memorizing, but sometimes that's what it is as well. But to me, my, my security blanket, as it were, is one sheet in front of me, even though I wear glasses and I'm blind, nine point, I got highlighted the black, you know, bold print, and then one regular bold print. And I fill up one sheet. I may use only three points. I may not, you know, need much. It's already there in the noggin. But man, oh man, it, it, that's my prep. That's my, and it, it's something I love, John. I love knowing shit. I love learning. I love telling human stories. I, I, I just can't get enough. So in another world, I'd just be a researcher. I, I, I just love learning things. Well, you say three points. There was a day that we were 10 minutes away from a radio show. And Morrow's notes needed to be printed. And when this, when this printer malfunctioned, Morrow took a few steps back. And I didn't know what was going to happen. And he proceeded to kick this field goal where this printer was going to be good for three points. Because you, I thought you were, were going to break your foot. At least break this printer when the notes would not print. And my God, it was... Uh, I think a site that, remind, it, that is crystallized in my app? memory. <laughs> wow, that uh, buddy, you've seen uh, the melt. You know, it, it's not a not a full day if you don't have a, a more of an automatic meltdown. But uh, those days are gone too, which is nice. I mean, again, we all mellow out in as we age. But I also realize, man, don't. You, it's not fair to anybody else to show that. Why do you have to show that? Like I'm trying to kill with kindness. I, I know we're in a very polarizing time, a very tribal time on Earth, but. I'm I'm just realizing, my man, especially this year, boy, oh boy, life is precious. And even if you have issues, and we all do, mental health is impacting everyone now. And it's got to be normal. It's got to be talked about every day, like the weather, like anything else, because it is, people are dying. People are dying because they they feel that they can't support their family. They feel they can't provide. They feel no one will listen. They're embarrassed. Uh, they're, they're male, you know, the, the, the alpha male. We're not forget it, guys. Come on. We, and I'm seeing it, John. I'm even reconnecting with you, uh, Ariel Helwani, Rich Chow from, uh, Bellator, um, um, Squire Barnes, my friend, who was the first person to give me a full-time radio job, uh, or my biggest profile job when I was 18. I think he was like 22, 23, and he was hosting a Sunday night sports talk show in Vancouver. Uh, at the time, uh, CKO, the only radio station with three call letters because it couldn't afford the fourth. Um, it was uh, amazing. And here we are 32 years later. I was on the sports talk show at 18. He just did a, a, a story on me doing the Tyson thing on Global News in Vancouver last week. So 
even people like that re-entering my life. And, and it's so incredible. So I, I, I encourage everyone to do the same thing. It's about relationships. It's about human connection. Uh, it, it's not about just all the money you can make, all the fame you can achieve. It, it, we need to be nicer and, and kinder to each other or, or this planet's not going to make it. Well, uh, we'll end it off there. I want to encourage everyone to check out the Moral Log. We'll link to it here uh, with the interview. It's available on Anchor, on Spotify. Moral's putting out these daily uh, th- these daily reports where you get to see a wide variety of newsman Moral Ranallo, uh with his take on the world, his very unique take on the world. And I know you've got a birthday coming up, Moral. What, how, how is 2020 going to finish off for, for one Moral Ronaldo, who we should note is in uh, California, which is, of course, well, one of the uh, concerned areas right now? Yeah, I, I'm busy right now, John, just trying to help out where I can while trying to be as safe as I can. And I'm trying to get home, brother, I'm trying to get to Canada. I, I'm grateful that I still have the Canadian passport, but it's been tough, obviously. Uh, sure. I have been back for quick visits my parents are elderly uh you know my my nephews are i mean we all we all have uh our things i went through the proper protocol uh quarantining and all that but it's still hard and i still wonder if i should do that uh but i'm i'm hoping to be home for the holidays but so are a lot of others and and while we need to, you know i don't want to get political brother but it's just nuts that that we're not doing everything all of us can do to this is a this is a health issue, not a political issue. People, come on, let's Amen. just do what we need to do. Just do it, Moro. Uh, I thank you so much on uh, behalf of Waiting. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us uh, today at Post Wrestling. Next time we will we will make sure to have Waiting on the call with us. You have to. If it's hey, we got to have that Waiting Clan. You know, I'm always going to use that reference from now until the end of time. Waiting Clan and uh, David. Are you there, my man? I am here. (laughs) Shout out to Dave Meltzer, man. Love that guy. Love Dave Meltzer. Thank you.